Welcome to the 30th and final Guest of the Year episode of the main tournament for this season. I'm the host, my name's Mike. After this, we will be doing some teams format and some special episodes and then the Tournament of Champions. So not going anywhere, but this is the final episode of the main tournament. This week's guest setlist curator is guitarist and guitar instructor, Michael Palmasano. Michael is a GIT graduate. He plays live, including sitting in with Umphreys McGee, and he's the founder of GuitarGate, an online guitar learning community with over 85,000 students. He also has a popular YouTube channel where he reacts to live tracks from a variety of bands, including the Grateful Dead, while simultaneously analyzing, reproducing, and teaching the guitar parts. Welcome, Michael. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. This week's prize pack is provided by ABDB Designs. Co-founded by former Guest of the Year contestant Andrew, ABDB Designs is a multidisciplinary studio designing and handcrafting made-to-order pieces of furniture and interior by way of their patented technique of embedding crosscuts of natural materials in resin. If you heard the episode, you probably remember Andrew's amazing story about how his friend Tucker commissioned a Grateful Dead piece from him, and that led to an official partnership with the Dead. ABDB sells Grateful Dead-themed coasters, wall hangings, and does made-to-order Grateful Dead-focused furniture. A link to their shop is in the bio, or you can check out one of their wall hangings in person at West Out East's Hamptons location. The winner of this episode will get a set of their handmade coasters, which I've seen and are absolutely incredible. And those coasters are actually launched today on their website. Thank you to Andrew and everyone at ABDB Designs. Okay, here's how the game works. We'll play the first part of a Grateful Dead live track, and each contestant will use the messaging system to silently guess which year the performance is from. Contestants, who are all in a video conference together, can message in their guesses at any time during the clip or in the 10 seconds after it concludes. Whoever is furthest from the correct year is eliminated. The last two deadheads standing will have a best of three series to determine a winner. We've got our back-to-back champion Steve here with us, and we'll meet the rest of the deadheads in a moment. But first, without further ado, The Grateful Dead.
So that was a lovely road, Jimmy, at High Life Fronton on June 23rd, 1974. Sweet pick, Michael. Why that one? So uh, Road Jimmy has always been one of my favorite tunes uh, that they do. It's such, a, it's such an interesting, playful tune. And when it goes from 4-4, four, four, then they just add those couple little bars of 2. It's just such, a, it's such one of those feels that really only the dead seem to do. Um, it, it just least in that way and have the vocals just flow over the bar line. But this example in particular... Um, the band is just like no one changes tempo really. It's such a it's such a strong, firm tempo that everybody's playing, and everybody is uh, playing a lot. There's a lot going on, but but this is one of these tighter versions as far as I mean everybody, especially that all those like all those little double taps on the snare, they just keep it just keep it rolling it, it never lags or speeds up like it is such a steady version where everybody's very very busy but the tempo stays uh pretty pretty much right down the middle and that's why i picked that version because it's such a it's hard to do it's a hard tune to play with all those little extra bars of two and to have everybody just stay right on it and not get lost and again, for people that have been pl- listening, that have been playing this music a long time, uh, it, it, you know, perhaps they don't remember what it was like when they first started to learn these tunes where like, they would just have an extra bar of two. You had to wait for that bruntum, bruntum, you know, like that little part. And sometimes it would hit and sometimes it would, wouldn't. And it, sometimes you'd have a, a lead in you could anticipate. But it's so hard to get everybody to get that that bouncy like reggae vibe together but then with a straight backbeat you know he's not playing the one drop it's a straight backbeat um to have everybody get that wave behind it but then have that straight tempo the whole time that's a that's a thing i don't really hear from a lot of other bands and that when i first learned this tune that was like i was looking i was searching for a version where like man that is like like where they where they nail it on that tempo wise and like that's why I picked this one. Awesome, thanks, Michael. So everyone guessed seventy four except for Brian. Sorry, Brian. Wow, and... you guys are good. I like. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll go to our returning champ, Steve, who is fifty one from Lincoln, Nebraska. Steve, why seventy four? How'd you figure that out? Um, similar to uh, one of the well, it's the. I don't know. There was this 224, 74 I think the first one I was on, but I just recognized the show, the high life fronton. That's a kind of a favorite. And, um, I just can't imagine, um, I Miami in 74, I imagine there was some snowfall happening. And, um, so I hear, I hear a little bit of that energy too. Um, <laughs> with the, with Billy and the snare and also some of the, uh, I, cause I thought for a minute, I'm like, maybe it's late 73, Nope, 74. It's amazing. It. <laughs> it's truly amazing. That he picked out the show, Michael? Yeah, like the exact show. I, I just I just I just had that one, you know. No, I listen, I I, I know it's I'm I'm still fairly new to this and so I I have only absorbed a a you know a small portion of what's out there and I'm I'm still endlessly amazed of how people just have particular shows 
blueprinted in their brain. That is that is <laughs> that's that is pretty that's close a unique, to the truth, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is a unique thing to this uh this community, this music. Like, you know, it all the other types of music that I love and I cherish, like I, I just don't <laughs> have shows blueprinted in the brain. And for people that have, you know, hundreds of them, they're like, Oh yeah, I know the sound of that place. Uh yeah. <laughs> It doesn't even shock me anymore, and I'm numb to it. I'm like, sounds about right. Um, no, it's awesome. Cool shit ever. So uh, Nick is 46 from Maplewood, New Jersey. Nick, did you know the show? No, I didn't know the show, but you know, being Road Jimmy, I figured it was 73 or 74. And just from the sound of the drums, it sounded a little more wall of sound than 73. So uh, yeah, I figured it was somewhere in that somewhere in that area that the June 74 area, but I didn't know what show in particular. That'll do it. You're on to the next round. Doug is 33 from Baltimore. Doug, you nailed 74. Anything else you want to add to the analysis here? Um, I'm just thankful that Michael picked that one so that I could move on to the next round. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's really nothing else uh, I'd add. I, I mean, 74 has a unique sound, I guess. And um, I knew it was between 73 and 74. And then when uh, Donna was singing a little bit more, I think, than she would have been 73, maybe. So um, that's kind of why I pulled the trigger when she started on the uh, vocals. Great. Thanks, Doug. You're on in the next round. And John also guessed 74. John is 59 from Rochester, New York. John, yeah, why 74? Well, it, it, it really sounded very much like the, uh, uh, you know, the run up to the, to, to the last year to me. And uh Ro Jimmy, maybe my all-time favorite dead tune. I didn't know the show, although you know I had that tape back in the day, but it just didn't it didn't imprint into my DNA like it did for some other people. But um, my own dead band, we uh, I convinced them to start playing this tune, and we have a unique thing where we do uh, um, help on the way Slipknot into Ro Jimmy. That was my that was my addition to it to our set, and uh, it is a tricky tune, like yeah. like I was saying, it's tricky. It is very tricky, but, and this is uh, um, my friend Josh, also from the band who was on the podcast last week, as he taught the band the song, it's all in four. There are, yes. there are actually no extra bars in this in, in the form. It's all four, four, except for the fact that the phrases go long and short. The exactly. phrases are all weird. So it's, if you're just, it's almost impossible to follow unless you know it. So. I, I, th- that's so true. I, you know, because like you could, you could teach it as extra bars of two and try to make people count it, but to really get the feel, you got to feel the whole thing in four, but it, it requires so much listening and internalizing to get to that level of intuition that you all just switch together. Cause it's, it's, it's squirrely. You have to know it. Absolutely. You really have to know it. So it's, it's deceptively challenging. Maybe, maybe the best version of the song. So it was really nice to hear. Awesome. Love it. And John, what do you play in the band? Um, I play bass in this band, although I'm I'm primarily a guitarist, but I, I do uh I've been playing with this band on bass for the past year. It's the first time I ever played any bass on any Grateful Dead stuff. I've been a deadhead since I was 10 years old, I'd say. Although I mean not really, but yeah, just recently started playing playing the bass on it and love it. Awesome. Excited to hear more about that. Um, so Brian, I'm sorry, 
these guys didn't give you any any room for error here. Uh, There's uh, no wiggle room at all. Nothing. No, uh, you're, you're probably in trouble at four years, but yeah, that was I didn't even come close. <laughs> you were close. Um, so you are 41 from Northeast Pennsylvania. What'd you hear there? So what I was, what actually got me the most was, I love the um, the Egypt Bro Jimmy. It's like one of my favorites, and kind of like Michael was saying, there was there was a slowness to it, and I definitely should have heard the complexity more, like the lack of complexity that you'd hear like in Egypt, you know, with Jerry kind of like kind of taking things to the like next level with each one of those beats. But I heard the slowness and I was kind of like, for some reason, it just really reminded me of um, of Egypt. And I just kind of got hooked on that. And I was going back and forth whether I should go, you know, like 70, 72, 73. And then I just, I was hooked on the road, Jimmy, from Egypt. I just kept hearing it. So. Sure, sure. Um, so Brian, how'd you get into the dead? Yeah. So um, my sister's about eight years older than me and uh, she she was, you know, we were Columbia House kids where we were all getting the Columbia House CDs sent to our house every, you know, every couple of weeks. And uh, she got me into just good music as a kid. And, um, you know, it started off with like Paul Simon and, uh, you know, R.E.M. And then gradually just kind of saw some Grateful Dead CDs and um, talked my parents somehow and let me go to shows when I was young, 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 young. So I was uh, saw the dead when I was 13. And I saw him again when I was 14. So that was 94 and 95. So yeah, after that, it was kind of just like, I was just hooked. I mean, I went in and out of phases, obviously, where I was more into them than than I am now. Um, I mean, I mean, less into them than I am now. But um, yeah, it's just been kind of a lifelong thing. So it's a big part of my life right now. So you went to the shows without your parents, just you and your older sister. Yeah, and they totally trusted my sister, which was a big mistake. <laughs> 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 yeah so i got to go uh, i was at giants in 94 um it was august 4th and my birthday was august 5th so it was actually like 12 turning 13 um for that show and then i was at rfk in 95 so i got to go to that one too so yeah again like you know at that time things were not where they you know where people remember the dead as much but it was it was um for me to be able to do that gave me a lot of uh definitely gave me some credit at high school, you know, when kids were, you know, juniors and seniors that didn't go to shows and I was, you know, in seventh grade. So it was pretty cool. Another cool sister. We've had a few of those on the show recently. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was great, but um, yeah, now I'm kind of just into different stuff too. I'm creating a lot of, um, of art. I sell some shirts here and there, but I do it mostly for fun, but um, yeah, huge, huge part of what I do. Where can people check them out? Yeah. So my Instagram is Bry J Healy, B-R-Y-J-H-E-A-L-E-Y. And uh, yeah, I um I put a couple of things out. I'm big into stickers and trading stickers with people and stuff. So yeah, hit me up. I've actually seen your Instagram. It's great. Uh, yeah, Brian, thank you so much for for coming on the show. Yeah, yeah. wish I did a little better. Thanks though. <laughs> uh, no, it's great work. Okay, so Steve, John, Doug, and Nick are on to the next round, and Michael has another great pick. Let's hear it.
dude. This is so great. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. Yes, so that was Loser at Fox Theater in Atlanta on May 19th, 1977. A screaming pick, Michael. And you mentioned before that you wanted to have that after Road Jimmy. So why'd you pick that one, and why'd you want to put it after that particular Road Jimmy? All right, so, so, so when I made this list, I didn't want to just have things that were going to be super stumping. I wanted to be uh, things that uh, would, would, would give you a little insight on, on what attracts me to this music, right? And so the first one with the Road Jimmy, like it was about like the super tightness of the rhythm, like with all these different things going on at the same time to make a sum that's greater than the parts. With this loser, uh, the one thing I love about it that it took me so so long to get to is that if you listen to the first 30 seconds of it, the tempo is, I mean substantially faster 25 bpms 30 bpms faster i mean faster faster um and then when it gets to the when it gets to the lead it settles into uh this exploratory tempo where jerry just does one of my favorite things that any guitar player has ever done is just i call it pinch harmonic sky busting where where you're just where you're where you're just it's the full pinch harmonic thing, every single note, letting the overtones ring out, and you're just searching in the dark for whatever comes next, right? And you're hunting for the melody. Sometimes you hit it, sometimes you get close to it, and you push around, but it's like, God, those pinch harmonics. It's just like a flashlight in the dark, and you can hear them hunting around. And to have the whole band just slow down at that point, and have it become like a dirge and just let him hunt around. There's just no one else that does shit like that. And that's why I picked it, because it's just fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Amen. How does the band know to slow down and let Jerry look, feel around? Like, what, how do they telegraph that? Well, I don't know. But, but, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, but that's one of the things that, I'll be totally honest, you know, like, I, I came to the party late to the dead, the largest reason would be um, the rhythmic variations and the tempo variations, you know, like not just from night to night, but within the song, they would fluctuate greatly. And that was something that it, you know, coming from the background I came from, it was just totally not used to that at all. Like I, I was used to people improvising on a harmonic level but not so much like literally moving tens of beats per minute like throughout the song and like really changing a lot. So obviously it's all by feel. You're just moving together and you're just, you know, listening first and and making decisions after that. But that it's a it's a really unique thing that they do um that uh I don't know. Now I am in love with it. You went to school for music. So if you did that when you were, you know, practicing with other musicians and training. Yeah. Okay. That's what I was getting at. <laughs> They'd be like, why are you doing that? Yeah, exactly. Like I've never, I'd never, you know, played, a, you know, I've, I've never played a gig where, you know, the drum, the drummer that started the song and ended the song where it wavered more than five or seven BPM kept the job. I've never, that's not how it works. Um, but the intent is different. It took me so long to get to understand that 
the intent is not this perfect uh, recreation of something and we take this perfect thing from town to town to town. The intent is for it to be different and for it to flow and for it to change. And there's a celebration in that. And that's something that I didn't come to appreciate um, until later in life. And that's just true. We all come from different places, but we all ended up here, I guess. Well put. Thanks, Michael. Again, everyone got it except for one person. Sorry, Doug. Uh, <laughs> Doug throws his hands up. Steve, John, and Nick all got 77. Doug guessed 78. John, we'll go to you first. How did you figure out 77? So for me with this song, the first time I ever heard the famous Barton, you know, Cornell Barton 5877, that's the first time I ever noticed Jerry Garcia's pinch harmonic thing that Michael was talking about, which just absolutely mesmerized me. It's just one of the most beautiful things that has ever been done on guitar. And um, eventually I started to explore the other stuff from 77 because Jerry was just so on with that tone. And he always tried to do it, but his tone changed a lot. There was a clarity of, of what he was doing that, man, April through, through June of 77, just, just incredible. So for me, I, it just, it, it, it rang out like a bell. I guess I had that recording. I probably had at one point, most of the available May 77 recordings, but I didn't remember it specifically, but. Fox Theater always had great sound too. So it's, it was very, very resonant in a good way. Excellent. Thanks, John. You are on to the next round uh, along with Nick. Nick, anything you want to add to John's breakdown? No, with me, it's just, I think, you know, my analysis is just from years of listening to the tapes, you know, so you hear Donna. Okay. So now you, you break it down between those years, 76 to 78. And then just kind of the sound of, I mean, I wasn't sure when I first heard that solo, which was wild. I was like, shit, is that Winterland 77? But I knew just from the sound of the vocals uh, and the sound of the tape that it had to be, you know, 1977. Thanks, Nick. And, and Steve, uh, you were not fooled. Almost. I, uh, I was leaning late 76 for a minute just because the way the drums sounded. Um, I think to in spring of 77 that seemed like there was like some like they were a little bit further back in the sound field a little bit and there was maybe a little bit of reverb or something on them and in 76 they're very clean and that's what i was hearing but it had there was the the 77 muscularness 76 was a little more tentative you know figuring it out and i thought no they're they're on a heater here and then the then um it was the the grand piano the actual acoustic piano because i thought well it's got it's muscular maybe it's 78 but that um i i don't know if it was late fall 77 when keith started playing that yamaha electric piano so that's what solidified 77 thanks steve yeah and doug sorry one year off as as brian mentioned at the beginning this is a tough crowd tough racket right now um, right yeah, why 78? Uh, I was between, you know, everybody says it who loses, but I'll, I'll join them. I was between 77, 78. And then, um, especially in the beginning, I, I thought Jerry's voice sounded a little bit old, not older, but I was, you know, considering like maybe 80, you know, even. And then once, obviously, I heard that it was uh, late 70s and I went with the later half because um, that, that guitar solo should have kind of 
tipped me off because that that was very uh you know shredding the you know the way they were in '77. But uh, yeah, I just uh, picked the wrong one. It happens, Doug. How did you uh, get into the dead? Um, I was only five when Jerry died, so I never got to see him. Uh, my dad, though, did. Uh, he got on the bus in 73, RFK Stadium, uh, went to see the Allman Brothers, and he came out of the dead and then saw him all over the years. He never forced it on me, but uh, eventually, after college, I kind of found it myself. Um, and, uh, yeah, just to Michael, uh, the one thing you get into this music, I've been listening probably for 10 years now, it only gets better. Like you, you have such a technical ear for it. I have. No, I'm not a musician. Like a lot of these people on here are musicians. I'm not a musician, but it still gets better. Like the more you listen, the better it is. You hear so many more things. Like you, you'll never get out of this hole. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you. That is actually a good segue, Michael. How did you get into the dead? I mean, it's just a crazy. It's a crazy mix of, of music and work and friends and all kinds of things. So um, I'm going to start by saying I've, I, I've loved Jerry um, since I was probably 20 years old or so. I, I did not grow up listening to this music. None of my friends did. Um, in fact, I grew up like very much a, a metalhead and like rock and roller type Um and uh, but I loved Jerry from the Old and in the Way records. Somebody somebody gave me the Old and in the Way records, and I got bit by the bluegrass bug so hard. It really changed the trajectory of my music playing in general. I mean, to 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 put it simply, um, for the per- first ten fifteen years of my life, I lived in Riffland playing guitar like you know, like heavy powered stuff, like playing riffs. I never learned songs with chords and progressions and melodies. It was all just like riffs. Um, and Jerry and those that the old and the way records, you know, led to, you know, uh, Doc Watson and a bunch of others. And I got really, really into the bluegrass old timey stuff. So I say that to say, like, I've loved Jerry forever, and like I really fell in love with the songs and the song structure and the improvisational nature of bluegrass. But I still never got the dead because bluegrass, to use Bob Weir's analogy, is a very strict idiom, right? It, tempo doesn't change, right? Like, it, like you, can't, you can't come in and late to your parts. Your voice leading has to be perfect. All of your arrangements, like, everybody takes turns soloing, but your arrangements are super tight. We're going back and forth around one mic mixing ourselves. It is a very, very um, uh, simple music, but extremely difficult to execute at a high level. It's, it's incredible stuff. And so when I listened to The Dead the first couple, you know, 100 times and all my friends were like, oh man, you play guitar, I got into it. I didn't get it primarily for that reason. Like, like the, rhythm, the rhythm was uh, fluid, Right, it wasn't this strict thing, and so I loved the songs, but I never quite got the the, the music part. Anyway, fast forward a little bit. Uh, when I had been teaching online for a while, and I had been kind of settled in my whatever, I, I I stopped gigging four nights a week for a living. I was had kids, you know. So twenty years transpired. I'm, I'm I'll be forty this year, um, so maybe 
17 years transpired or whatever. I had gotten burnt out on guitar. And I don't know anybody that's, that's, uh, that's why I keep this book on my desk, The War of Art. Anybody that's an artist, you know, knows that, that uh, you know, the resistance comes and finds you and that sometimes you put it down and you have to pick it back up and you have to refall in love with the thing. Well, I had that happen about 35 or 36. And one of, and one of my friends, my wife and our cl- close friends, had extra tickets to a Dead & Company show. And I, um, again, had seen Mayer. I wasn't a huge Mayer fan or anything, but I certainly respected him as a guitar player. I mean, anybody that doesn't respect him as a guitar player isn't paying attention. And, um, but so we decided to go, mostly just to party and have a good time. But I was curious. I was like, you know, why is this guy taking, you know, 25, 30 dates off a headline tour and putting his whole crew on the sidelines and parking all the tour buses to be a hired gun and, you know, someone else's band, you know, what's going on. Um, so I was curious about that. And I went to the show and it hit me in real time. I feel like everybody has these stories, but it, it was it was him looking happier than I've ever seen him look playing the instrument, being completely lost in the music. At the same time, the fans and everybody watching and having the songs so visibly mean so much to them and have everybody seems so happy at the same time that I was like, there is something to this. And so I was like, I haven't played guitar in three or four months. Uh, I, um, I'm going to go home and I'm going to learn these songs and try to figure out what's going on. And as I, as I went through that process, I fell in love with Robert Hunter's writing and really just, that was like the biggest thing that captured me. And, and I just started listening more and more and more and you go further down the rabbit hole and you just keep going. Um, and then I started, you know, really getting into Jerry's style of, of soloing, which again, for all you guitar players out there is very much chord tone soloing. So connecting chords with simple melodies based on the notes within the chords instead of a blues approach, which is you're just thinking one key the whole time. I don't want to get too in the weeds here, but, but, but that is that, that started a new trajectory for me. And it's been like, you know, three ish years now or four years, however long it's been. Um, and I'm just stoked about it. When you saw Bob play in person for presumably the first time, did you pick up on, his what some have called dyslexic style of playing and unique uh, rhythm guitar play. I've never heard it explained as dyslexic. Um, so as somebody who's played in a lot of different bands with a lot doing a lot of different type of music, I'm always watching not so much like what any one person's style is. It's more like, how are they all mixing together and making room for each other? And I noticed that, um, you know, obviously, whoever's taking the lead or vocals um, is, 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 is playing the larger parts, the, the larger chords, like the basic bar chords. And the, and the one who's playing rhythm guitar is filling in the spots with other little pieces. And John very much comes from that blues world where... Uh, I understood immediately, you know, his comping choices that he would make, the voicings that he would pick. Bob 
plays pieces of those with a lot of jangly chink chinks, you know, uh, and uh, and it would come in in places where, how would I explain it? Like if you had a percussionist, you know what I mean? Like it would just like it would just kind of like pop in and out. Um, it wouldn't necessarily be a driver of the rhythm. It would be like a piece of the rhythm section, not like a big sound. Um, but uh, that was the first thing that came to me when I saw him play live. It's just like I can see everybody's trying to make space for each other, and his is very, I don't know. I would call it unorthodox. I wouldn't call it dyslexic. Okay. I don't think that's accurate. <laughs> I think he's dyslexic, and I conflated the two. <laughs> right on. Uh, that's so cool, Michael. Doug. Thank you for uh, for coming on. Thanks for having me. Of course. Great time. So John, Nick, and Steve are on to the next round. They are vying for two spots in the best of three series to get that ABDB prize pack from our good pal, Andrew. So Michael's got another song. Can't wait to hear it. Crazy Althea there at the Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland on March 15th, 1990. John guessed 1989 and Steve and Nick guessed 1990. So they're on to the finals. John gets ousted by one year. Like we've been saying, this is a brutal crowd. But Michael, why that Althea? So I even put this in the notes to him. I, was, I, I expected everyone to get this one, but I don't care. It, it's just, I'm from Maryland and I love this version, and it's just, it's such a bouncy, killer one. It's Phil's birthday that day, and uh, Althea is such a playful song. It's such a bouncy, loose song, and that, that, that Grateful Dead bounce that we all know and love, I mean, that is something that I've come to just cherish, and this song is just easily one of the most fun guitar songs that I've ever encountered. It just got that it's so much fun to play um and yeah it's just just bouncy and killer you know and and i'm pretty sure this is the live without the one that's on live without a net and i figured everybody would get it but i just love it period is it a technically difficult song guitar wise to play uh i wouldn't say it's technically difficult but like 
the Jerry Ropadopes, if you will. You know, like the like instead of instead of just that uh, bump bump bump, but the lead-ins, the bump bump, like like the, like like the pull-ins to it. That stuff is it, you have to. You have to feel that wave and that bounce inside because he plays it different every time. And it's like sometimes, you know, it's very staccato, you know, where it's up, up, up. And sometimes it's very legato. Like it's very different each time. But your internal pulse, like you have to you have to feel it to do that. And like, you know, verse after verse, there's these all these little tiny variations but it's still the same wave he's riding, and it's like, and that, and riding that that bounce is just so fun on guitar. It's like, I mean, this might be my favorite dead song to play on guitar, just because it's so, it's so fun. Is there a dull uh, Grateful Dead song to play on guitar? Is there a dull song? Uh, yeah, just like one that's like, eh. Um, I mean, honestly, I mean, I mean, there's, 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 you know one or two on this list that you could put in that category but you know all the slow all the slow uh, ballads if you will or were where they're just so vocally led and you're just holding chords um and you're really letting you know the the vocals you know reverberate through the room and that you're kind of like preaching you know that that stuff isn't isn't guitar centric right all music is different, but that, but like that's a fucking guitar thing, and it's an awesome one, you know? Yeah, completely. Steve, <laughs> you guessed 1990, and you were uh, nodding along, especially when Michael said uh, "rope a dope." What uh, what would you hear there? How'd you pick out 90? Um, again, it was Rosebud. I knew that I was like, oh, I think that's without a net one. But then I'm like, shit, was that one? Because there were some 89 shows on without or songs on without a net. So then I was like, oh, my God, is it 89 or 90? And then it was Rosebud. Um, just the tone of Rosebud is different than Tiger. Um, so, yeah, Nick, you also nailed that 1990, Althea. And you added uh, Landover. So you knew the show. Yes. Growing up, you know. As a teenager in the 90s, Without a Net was like one of my first live CDs. So, I mean, I listened to that one a million times. And, you know, I mean, I've heard people other than Al Franken debating which one is the best. And, you know, I do like that 80 Nassau one, but it's slower. But this one, you know, this one is, is really just the one. And then, you know, this recording yes. sounded a little different. It sounded like it could have been a Matrix. So I thought for a second, hey, maybe you're trying to get sneaky. I know that. That one from Alpine 89 has a certain little like boring kind of thing. So I didn't hear that. I, and then I was just like, okay, sure. I know. I know this. I've listened to this one. I mean, 10,000 times at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I expected most people to get this one. <laughs> nice work, Nick. You are on to the finals. John, 89. Uh, why 89? Well, like these guys, I did uh, actually recognize the recording without a net was uh, one of the ones I had. I didn't remember the year, I guess. Uh, somebody said it was a mixture of uh, 89 and 90. It's ironic because of all the shows that I saw, I saw, I may have seen, I don't know, five or six shows in 90. So um, it's an era I'm very familiar with, but it all kind of blurs together from the fall of 89 to the mm. summer of 90. You know, great years, great shows. You know, Jerry was back and the band was really on fire. I saw some incredible stuff those years, but uh, yeah, 89, 90. 
yeah, what are you going to do? So, John, how did you get in, get into the dead and end up, you know, in a great tribute band? Uh, well, um, my my uh, mother, when I was a kid, she used to go to garage sales and pick up all sorts of albums. And uh, for me, it was like Beatles and The Doors and Hendrix and all that stuff. But she got Live Dead, and that had St. Stephen and Dark Star. And uh, there was something about it that was just the the beat and the harmonies and everything was different. It was off from the other rock stuff. And St. Stephen, just the bounce of that song and the way it was kind of careening you know, across the boundaries. And uh, so that always stuck in my mind. I listened to some albums in the 70s. I was quite young. And it didn't, even Working Man's Dad, some of the good albums, didn't strike me. I didn't think I was a deadhead until I went to see them in for the first time in uh, April of 82. And it was just a wondrous experience to go to that show um, at the War Memorial in Rochester. And... Uh, you know, everything, everything changed for me musically. I was, you know, into the who and the clash and all that by then. And I was always, you know, the flavor of the, of the year, but a lifelong deadhead from that point in time. And, uh, I was always a song person as a guitar player. So, uh, I learned all those songs before I played in a dead band for the first time, probably seven years after that. I played a guitar, uh, a guitar in a band. I was doing kind of the Bobby thing because I was playing with somebody that did all the Jerry repertoire really well. So I picked up uh, all the uh, kind of the late '80s, kind of the angular, kind of uh, you know jarring, you know off kilter rhythms. And then later on, I started my own dead band, um, doing the Jerry role. And when I was in Austin, Texas, where I, I lived up until two years ago, I was there for 25 years. Started my own band there. And then um, a year ago, I got a call from some good friends in Rochester, and they needed a, a fill-in, a sub. Fill-in Phil, somebody that could play Phil Lash bass and, and sing Bob Weir vocals. And uh, I said, I'm in. I, I figured it would be a, a one-off. I figured I'd do one show, and they'd say, thanks a lot for filling in. But uh, it turned into a great, great evening, and I've, I've been playing with them. Probably done 15, maybe not quite 15 in the last year with them. So I'd never played it on bass, but the guitar players in the band are so good that I just naturally found a spot and I I had all that stuff in my ears. And uh, so. Do you play Phil bass and do you play, try to play bass like Phil? I try to exist in that space. I don't really cop his, uh, except for some things where I will learn baseline some of the stuff um what like i sing uh um estimated profit right that's in seven i cannot play those phil baselines when i'm so singing hard. you know <laughs> it's just you know it's just it's just not so i have to kind of uh dumb it down a little bit so i can sing it and then in the jam i you know i it's very much me but i i, I you know i saw 35 dead shows and and just listen to it. It's in my DNA. Everyone in our band, it's it's in our DNA. So it, it kind of comes natural. I wouldn't say that I sound like any kind of a Phil clone by any means playing at that level or anything like that. But, you know, our, our jams get into great, great territory. So where can people find out more info on your and Josh's great band, Eric Harlan's Half Dead? Our, uh, it's halfdeadlive.com. That's our, our new website. 
And uh, we're just kind of building up our social media presence now. We're doing a 50th anniversary of uh, the uh, Watkins Glen show, July, I think, 28th in Rochester. Thank you so much for coming on, John. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Great to, great to meet you all and a lot of fun. Oh, so nice to meet you. Thanks all. Steve and Nick are on to the finals for best of three series. The winner gets the coasters from ABDB Designs. Thanks again, Andrew. Michael has another pick. Let's hear it. They love each other. Lord, you can see that it's true. Lord, you can see that it's true. both got it uh, <laughs> I know I know but you know what that's such you tell what it is first yeah it's they love each other at Pershing Municipal Auditorium in Lincoln Nebraska on February 26th 1973 hometown show yeah. for Steve but yeah Michael uh why'd you choose that one so this for me again this is like a perfect mix of Lydian jam um but 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 it, it's it's the vibe this is just one of my favorite versions of the bouncy country bluegrass Jerry and then like the bluesy funky Jerry, you know, he's just doing all, all the hot little country lines, but he's just got that dead bounce to it. He's doing all the little burned it, but do did, but do did like all those little country double stops, but not in the way the Nashville cats do it. Just, you know, just, it's just got that bounce. Like this is where I this is where like I tell people to start if you want to get that vibe with a, with like a progression you've probably already played if you're a country player if you're a hybrid picker like these little bounces mixed with those little those little simple melodies that he lets just kind of just ring out and decay and then quickly grabs them and brings them back you know just like it's just great guitar playing Hell yeah. That's why that's why I picked it. I mean, it's just like these ones are like the most fun ones. Like it's just such 
Like you see that on you see that on the on the sheet. Like you're gonna play that one, and it's nice and snappy and up tempo. You're just like, yeah, let's 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 do that. That's gonna be a really good time. They love each other. Kind of slowed down as the dead progressed. So you prefer the up tempo one? Oh, for for sure. I mean, <laughs> I, I I mean I mean, listen, it's a it's a different season. It's a different time. It's a different kind of appreciation. But yeah, those fast. From someone who loves bluegrass as much as I do and then got so into country, like having having just that that basic one flat seven four kind of vibe, uh, those are the chords that are going by for the non-musicians. Um uh and, and it but but it just it just has that bounce to it, that up tempo bounce. It's so distinctly them. Um and it's so distinctly Jerry. Uh, it's a, it's just a, a great place to start for any country players that kinda want us to get into the, this music. It's so accessible. Excellent. So, yeah, 1973, Nick. That was a quick diagnosis. Talk to us. Well, the, my first dead tape was Stanford 73 with the debut of that song, which, I mean, the first time I heard it, I loved it. Um, and 73 is the only year they played it that fast. So yeah. know, I knew it had to be, uh, it had to be from 73. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and Steve? Pretty much the same. But yeah, that's uh Michael, the my screen background is Pershing Auditorium in Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Hometown show. Yep. Love it. So it's still uh tied and we're still best of three series here and it's zero zero. West L.A. Fade Away at Hartford Civic Center in Hartford, Connecticut on March 27th, 1987. They both got it again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> These guys are hard, man. Oh, that was and a I, tough I that one. Oh, that was a tough one. That was tough. They, that was a great pick. It, it was a tough one, and they just fucking nailed it. Um, I can't but, believe that. I saw it. I saw it. So I struggled a little bit. I was like, oh, man, maybe I'll get lucky. Uh, why that West L.A.? I mean... This is just such a fun tune. Again, I, I picked. This is another one of the guitar-centric tunes that, like, uh, I just really like. Um, 
planet. It's got that same rope-a-dope type of thing to it. And this version in particular, um, one, uh, the, just the, the sound of the bass just feels just, it's just absolutely massive. It just, it's just so big. And this is one of my favorite examples of Jerry being really relaxed and like, coy with his vocals before just ripping your head off like that was like one of my one of my favorite parts about uh this kind of time period um is that i feel like i don't know it's show to show but i feel like you know it it was almost like toying with you a little bit like he was kind of it was just kind of relaxed and he would you know sing in the mic but he wouldn't always just like just belt into it like he would just kind of like reel you in but then his tone that he would come up, come in with would be just like daggers. Like it would just like little ice picks just stabbing at you. And I just, I, I, I love this sound. I, I love, I, I don't know, this, 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 this little era of, of, of the dead is just I, just, I just love that part of Jerry's playing. It's so uh, not like the early stuff. It's just, I love, I love how, I love how punchy it is and how it's, it's just, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's, it's such a dichotomy between that and the vocals. I, 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 don't, I don't know, but it's just a great tune. I love this version. The, uh, like, smoky, too many cigs vocals. Yeah, exactly. Like, I've been through some shit vocals, you know what I mean? But I'm still going to rip your face off. <laughs> Sick. Yeah, they both got it. Uh, Steve, yeah, so you guessed 87. How'd you figure that out? Um, it was a little tricky. I was a little nervous. Uh, for me, it was the combination of Phil's bass tone and Brent's keyboards. That was a pretty 87 Brent. So, but yeah, it was, uh, it was tricky. Late eighties, early eighties and late eighties are tough. Yeah. Uh, Nick, you were in a good amount of agony there, <laughs> yeah. but you pulled it out. Why? How'd you figure it out? Holy shit. I, well, first I was like, I know there's some good West LA's from 83. Like, I think there's one from the new year's run that there's some video of that's really good. But then I was like, all right, it's later, but I was like, all right, it doesn't sound like 90. And then I was, I, I almost typed in 89, but just really just thinking, I'm like, shit, I think they played West LA more in 87 than they did, than they did in 89. And just something about the sound of it. I, I just went 87 at really at the last minute. Thank you for like bringing the vocals back into at the end. Cause I was like, I really wasn't sure. I was like really thinking it could have been 83, 87 or 89. I went with 87. <laughs> Amazing. These guys are tough. All right, let's play this on.
That's a heater right there. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. I give. (laughs) It was a deal at Olympic Center in Lake Placid, New York on October 17th, 1983. Nick guessed 1989 and Steve guessed Uh 1982. So Steve gets it. He goes Mm -hmm. up 1-0 in the series. I almost Um, went late 80s, man. So (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um I mean, this is just one where everybody's on ten. Uh, that is just that is just peak, peak high octane running on ninety three. You know, that's just what that is. And I just, uh, you know, there's so many great peaks, uh, you know, over the years. But that one, that one is just uh, spectacular. Um, and it, it it's just everybody in the band is going. Everybody's pushing. It's all over the place. There's, you know, when the keys come in and he's doing those lightning strikes on the keys and Jerry starts taking these huge, huge leaps. It's just, I mean, that's the, that's the stuff you live for. That's when you're, that's when you're flying. That's when you're weightless. That's the stuff that gets you hooked forever. Brent at the end there was going crazy. Yeah, well, you know, that's one of those moments where, like, again... I don't even know if there's video for that show, but there doesn't even have to be like that. Like I listen to that and I, I imagine myself like how lucky I would be to be on that stage and have one of the instruments and like looking at everybody like, come on, push, 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 come on. You know what I mean? Like that's the, like if you've ever been in a band and you've been in one of those environments where it's like you get past the safety zone and you just, and you're just, uh, you're just, all pushing each other and like pushing each other's boundaries. Like that's the stuff dreams are made of. That's that all improvisational musicians love to get to that point to surround yourself with people better than you that are going to push you and to stand toe to toe and just like keep jabbing at you. Like that's, that's the best. It's the peak of the mountain. Is there like a physical exhaustion component there? Totally. Oh yeah, dude, there's a reason. And, and I'm not, I, I say these guys, cause I don't know if, if, these guys did it after this show, but there's but there's a reason, uh, you know, musicians like like musicians come off and they get the IV and they get the oxygen mask. Of course, man, that's a real thing. Even two minutes, I can't believe how they did that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh yeah. So Steve, you were closer. Nineteen eighty-two. Jerry played one of his kind of signature riffs that I mostly associate with the late eighties, eighty-nine, ninety. I hear it in the Jerry Garcia band deals a lot. And so I was like, God, could that be? And I've said it before, if Brent's on organ, it makes it really hard. Because with the 80s, yeah. I go straight to Brent's tone or his piano tone because it's pretty distinct throughout the years. But the B3 sounds like a B3. And so I thought, well, but the drums, I thought, well, I'm going to lean towards early 80s. And what I was listening for was in 83, Phil was starting to play the six string basses. And I was waiting for him to hit a low B string note, and I didn't hear any of that. So I thought, yeah, 82. <laughs> Damn, what, you guys are good. This is <laughs> that's what I mean, that's what that's what it boiled down to. And I'll say like that physical exhaustion. You know, I don't play in a dead cover band, but I bring the Altamont. I I play in a Rolling Stones tribute act. Yeah, shit. Yeah, and we play we play four hour sets. We played Dude. last Saturday night, we played 41 songs. <laughs> and so like at the end of the night i'm tired oh toast you kidding me toast toast, toast. Yeah. 41 songs can't believe you haven't brought that up till episode three you playing a yeah. rolling stones tribute act i do yeah for about the last year and a half shit yeah i play i play uh we have a, a keith richards and uh 
uh i play you know ron wood basically it's awesome yeah it's fun it's a blast actually we have a just 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 a, it's a gas <laughs> do you take a set break for 40 songs <laughs> yeah we play we play take two we play three sets a night we're a bar band you know so we play from nine to one yeah drinking beer playing rock and roll with your friends is more fun than it's that. a total and the guy that does uh uh mick jagger his name's eric and i've known eric for a long time and if you met eric you would go well of course he plays mick jagger <laughs> <laughs> because huh. he's just he's not he's he's doesn't even have he's not an act he just is that way you know yeah, and he yeah. can sing and he's a showman and yeah it's just a hoot man i love it we play once or twice a month it's, a, it's, an, it's awesome yeah where can people find it we have a facebook page we are our, our band name is exile on o street which is a reference to the main dragon lincoln instead of exile on main street so geographically you know where we play lincoln in omaha where there's a couple deadhead bars in omaha uh, Shakedown Street and Broke Down Palace, but they're both owned by the same two guys, and they're mm. funky as hell and awesome. And so we play, we play there. Um, they're super cool, and uh, yeah. Thanks, Steve. That's mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yeah, Nick, eighty nine. Talk to us. I mean, that was a tough one. I, there, I didn't think there was. You know, I don't. I can't decipher a six string bass from a five string bass. I'll tell you <laughs> that. But I just know. <laughs> The Buffalo 89 deal is just like absolutely shredding. So I figured, you know, maybe this was from that same month. You know, I'm not too familiar with the other, the other shows or how many shows, you know, in July 89, they closed the first set with deal, but I just kind of went back to that one. I knew it wasn't that one, but it was so hot. I just figured, Hey, it might be from that same era, but no, I would have never guessed 83 on that. I I didn't pick up any 83 cues. Nick, you're the only other non-musician here besides me. Uh, how did you get into the dead and what do you listen for? What do you enjoy about the dead? Oh man. Like, like I mentioned earlier, like in high school in the nineties, it was just like growing up in the suburbs of like Northern New Jersey. It was just like one of those things that was all around me. It was like, you know, the, the tie dye shirts, the tapes, all of that stuff. And then I got the, my first tape, I think yeah, you know, like yeah, sophomore year of high school, that Stanford tape. And then I saw Jerry band for the first time, Halloween, uh, 93 at the Meadowlands when I was like 16. And then I guess uh, Brian dropped off, but I was actually at those same shows that he was at too, at Giant Stadium 94. So, you know, I saw the dead for a few years. I mean, I collected tapes like crazy. When I got to college, I mean, it was like the tape rack was like how you met friends, basically. It seemed like freshman year of college. And I mean, literally, I mean, no bullshit. I think I probably listened to him like pretty much every day of my life since like the mid 90s. So, and then I listened to a couple of episodes. I was actually driving back from Maine, listening to your main episode last week because my friend Rob was on it. And I was like, shit, I got most of these right. I was like, I think I could uh, give it a shot and get pretty far along. So, and I mean, now I still do a little bit of like dead kind of related stuff. I mean, I do some work with some of the old like lot artists and bring back some of the old t-shirts, like some of the Jerry Jasper stuff and, and some of the, some of the other stuff. So. If I connect with some of the old school artists, try to dig up some of the old school artwork and then like, and then, uh, you know, produce them again on t-shirts. Cool. Where can people find that? Uh, they can find it on my Instagram, classic kicks. Great. Well, Steve's up one zero in the series. Yeah. Let's hear the next song. Steve needs this one to, uh, clinch his three Pete and get the ABDB design, uh, prize pack and let's play it. Ah. Uh. 
Nothing's for certain It can always go Come in when it's raining Go out and when it's gone I can show you a hard time Beautiful pick, Michael. That was <clears throat> High Time at Fillmore East on February 14th, 1970. Both of them got it. Michael, nice Jerry Ballad there. Talk to us. Yeah, man. I mean, so this is um, this is an example I picked where, uh, like in these in these slower ballads, it's almost like it. Uh, it's like they can't make it through without everyone. You know, it's like they each kind of go off and they're being pulled in these different directions. And it's like the song, the actual song itself and the lyrics of the song are like the glue which keeps everybody moving forward. Um, and and, and it, this is just a great example of that. I just feel like the, the longing of, of the song uh, just shines through in this version. It's such a, such a raw version to me. I just, I love this song. I just really love this song. Yeah, and that was a lovely version of it. So, Nick, you got 1970. How'd you diagnose it? That one was a little tough, too. I mean, you know, I just had to think of my, you know, computing my set list and that song being played so much in 70. But like Michael said, it did sound a little raw. So I wasn't sure if you were trying to throw a little sneak in there, like, you know, one of those December 69 shows, if that's when it was deb debuted, maybe like Thelma Theater or whatever. So, but I went back to 70. I figured, let me just play the odds. It's it's probably, probably a, bit a safer bet. Yeah, and Steve, you're nodding along there. Nick, man, you know you're stuck. I'm a little concerned because <laughs> uh, I had the same thought too. But then it was Garcia's guitar tone. And I thought, nah, that's 70. Okay. Steve's still up 1-0 in the series. And Michael has probably my favorite pick of the entire thing coming up now.
<laughs> Jesus Christ. That was a Scarlet Jam at the University. That's no shit. <laughs> <laughs> at University Dome at University of Northern Iowa at Cedar Falls. Holy shit, that was a mouthful. On February 5th, 1978, Steve got it. <laughs> oh, man. Guess 1981. Michael, tell us about that one. I mean, this is just one of these ones where, um, I don't know, someone sent it to me uh, in an email or something, and they were like, they were like, you got to check this one out. Go to, like, the transition around 17 minutes. Like, it's just, it's just... It's everything you want it to be, and uh, and I and and it's it's still to this day probably my favorite my favorite version, especially there's a there's a part I don't know the timestamp, but there's a there's a part where you know he fires up the mutron, and um, it's just again it's only he does it only they do it like this it's just it's just a my favorite Jerry Mutron madness part, you know, it's just a thing, you know, I just dig it. Um, you know, everybody's got their favorite, you know, Scarlet fire transitions. This is mine. Love it. Steve, you pulled a 78 out of there. You, uh, are a three peak guest of the year champ only been done twice before by Luke and Todd. Good job, Steve. How'd you pull Thanks. that out? That was a tough one. That was tough. I was leaning towards, I love the December 77 Winterland run. I God, oh, I can't quite, you know, 78 is kind of a transition year in terms of they take the polishedness of 77 because they really, Keith Olsen whipped them into shape for recording Terrapin Station. Like the drums got really tight. And so they were really just this finely tuned machine and as they move into 78, a lot of that starts to wear off and they just become this wild, unhinged machine that is right on the edge of blowing apart at any given moment. And I love that. I love it. Um, as 78 goes on, the interest wanes a little bit. But the first, I mean, the first half of 78 up to the, the July Red Rock shows, that's some of my favorite music. It's just as my buddy Joel says, huge swinging balls. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, exactly. Not, I mean, there's no pretense of, you know, nuance or delicacy or like they are out for blood and money and whatever. And it's great. I love it. And Jerry's starting to come into the, like he's, his voice is changing and his confidence is, Maybe a little chemically inspired, but it's it's just he's ferocious. He's unstoppable. He's Jerry goddamn Garcia. And it it's just amazing. It's a beautiful thing to behold. And uh so yeah, I mean that, but I, I don't know that particular piece. And I was like, oh my god, this is completely unhinged. <laughs> Which is like Dude, every you 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 yeah, I, I know you should all go back and listen to that. Two five seventy eight, and like go it somewhere around the seventeen minute minute mark is 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 when it starts to it starts to shift and the mutron comes on and it's just it's it's all time Jerry for that stuff it really sure. is it's all balls it's amazing everybody should listen to it you know I read and I don't remember where I saw this is one of the books but it was a letter to Garcia from a fan in seventy eight maybe it was the Grateful Dead family album 
but this kid was writing and he was thanking Jerry for continuing to develop his art in 78. Like as your cats down on the stars came out um, and Garcia's playing just what, like he, it's just a whole other level in that yeah, year. And, totally. uh, and I, and that, that really was like touching to me as I read it, like when I was a kid getting into the dead, you know, and like, wow, this is that kind of relationship. Like I would never write Jimmy page that letter. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? that kind of set the tone for like oh this is kind of what this is about anyway yeah that's it man i love it and nick my hat's off to you dude because that i mean you're you know your stuff man yeah thank nick, you nice work uh yeah totally you're just three years off on that one 81 uh yeah any thoughts i, I won't blame my computer speaker no i was just oh, having man. you know usually you could tell i mean i'm embarrassed that i picked a brent year but i was just having trouble uh here in the keys and i just know i you know i was like i actually i think i was guessing 78 and then i went 81 because i just know that year's smoking and i just was having a little bit of trouble here in the keys, so i wasn't really sure who was on it so i guessed 81 very very understandable <laughs> nick right. amazing run steve thanks everybody um, you are going to be you know a top few seed on the tournament of champions I'm uh, stoked. Yeah, stoked it's gonna be that. it's gonna be fireworks. And Michael, uh, a blistering set list. Thank you yeah, so man. much Thank for you all so your much. insight. Yeah, and for being here, it was tremendous to have you. Oh, dude, my my pleasure. Well, we appreciate you. So that's it for the first thirty episode main season of Guest of the Year. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Amazon Music. For all the show links, including our new YouTube channel, you can go to guesstheyear.net. And if you want to be a contestant on the show next season or sponsor the show or make comments and ask questions, email us at info at And we will be taking people's names for next season. Dylan and Mason deserve more than a shout out. So to those two, thank you so much. And thank you to James, who does a lot of stuff behind the scenes. It's a, it's a team effort over here. And, and thank you to all the people who have come on the show this past since last October, I guess we've been going. Um, thank you to everyone who's come on the show, who's written in, who has shared it with friends, who has followed us or tweeted about it or posted about it on Reddit. I can't thank everyone enough. Excited to keep going. So yeah, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to the amazing tapers whose recordings made this show possible. Congratulations on the three-peat, Steve, who will be going next season. His run is not over. And to other contestants, thanks for playing. And remember, it's all one song anyway. And I bid you good night. Good night. Good night. And I bid you good night. Good night. Good night.